When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Gary has been tremendous. Uh, it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me since I've been here. Uh, he's very smart. I talk to him a lot about you know what they what he's done as as a head coach. Uh, we talk a lot about offense and, and defensive football. Um, I just love his demeanor and uh, the way that he and Kevin can communicate during during the games and also uh, during the weekend game plans. Okay, welcome into Purple Daily. Mike Zimmer talking about how Gary Kubiak has influenced the Minnesota Vikings offense this year. And we caught him on the right week, Sage Rosenfels, to talk about Gary Kubiak's influence because the Vikings are coming off a great game against Dallas. They go into this game against the Denver Broncos. Uh, obviously, Gary Kubiak's longtime team. And they've got to be feeling great right now about where this offense is. And I got to say, Sage, I'm not sure that even I would have expected the offense to have been this highly ranked by the time we got into this part of the season. Yeah, we we would uh, we were surprised. I'm surprised by that, but in particular the running game, which was so vital for the Vikings two years ago, and then had a huge drop off last year. So the running game has been very very good. Obviously, Dalvin Cook being healthy has been absolutely huge, and uh, I think you know obviously some of that is Gary Kubiak's influence and in, in how in in the history of this type of running scheme. And we talked about starting off this thing with, with the Denver Broncos. Well. Gary Kubiak, before he was the head coach of the Broncos, previously had been years earlier, right before I met him, a 12-year coach, and I believe 12 years as the offensive coordinator under Mike Shanahan with the Denver Broncos. So, you know, this really is one of his homes. He's from Houston. He has spent a ton, a ton of time uh, in the Denver area in Colorado. His kids have gone to school out there at Colorado State. Uh, we always had a lot of Colorado State guys on our teams, actually, uh, uh, when I was at the Texans. And so, yeah, he's he has got his fingerprints all over this offense. Now, I don't want to take away credit given to Kevin Stefanski either. I mean, I believe at the end of the day, Kevin is calling the plays. Mm-hmm. He's making the final decisions. This is his offense. But I think he and, and Gary are, are working, it sounds like, incredibly well together. 
and Gary also working well with uh, uh, the head coach, Mike Zimmer. So not a surprise. Not a surprise to me. Obviously, I've been talking uh, about him probably since before he was in, in the discussion of coming to the Vikings, just o- over our podcast over the years, how when I played my best football, it was in this style of offense, and then, boom, he shows up, and uh, and obviously the, the Vikings are reaping pretty good rewards right now. See, and I just thought you had Gary bias that you just loved Gary because you played for him, but it's all turned out um, exactly how Mike Zimmer drew it up. Exactly what he wanted for an offense was what Gary Kubiak has brought with his offense, and then it seems to me that Kevin Stefanski has taken those basic principles and then applied them with some modern twists. That's kind of how I interpret this offense. Yeah, I think so. And obviously Kevin's been through a lot of coordinators over the years and Gary's been mostly in this style of offense because he's been running it for the last, uh, you know, 25 years. It is interesting as a guy that was a, you know, my journeyman quarterback that we joke around about, but you know, I came in the league and Brian Schottenheimer was my quarterback's coach. Now, of course, he's, I'm sure, learned a ton about the game since then. He was 26 years old, and now he's the coordinator of the Seahawks. And after that, I go North Turner for a couple years, and then I got Scott Linehan and Jason Garrett, and I had Mark Trustman as my quarterback's coach. And, and But when I got to Houston, when I was in this offense, in particular years two and years three, uh, I played the best football of my career. I felt the most comfortable. Uh, I felt that I could be successful. I really believed, like, okay, I can do this. I can be a good NFL quarterback, I, I felt, in this system. I, I never really felt that way in a lot of other systems I was in. I didn't think it really maximized uh, my capabilities. And, and I think uh, um, the guys who play in it almost always really like it. Uh, not everybody, but uh, for the most part, I think a lot of the linemen like it. Uh, I think a lot of... Uh, the quarterbacks who have played in it feel like they can go out there and just sort of do their job and not have to sort of make magic happen, but just do their job and go through their reads and get the ball out quick. And, and he creates, you know, uh, uh, yeah, they always say a, a quarterback's best friend is the running game. Well, the Vikings are third in the league in rushing, and so obviously that makes Kirk Cousins' life a lot easier to, to, to you and I, a lot easier than going shotgun every single play, which it seemed like what they were doing last year. Yeah, and uh, without – trying to throw John Filippo under the bus, which is almost impossible for Kirk Cousins. He kind of talked about that, like the different things that have surrounded him and helped him. And some of them are personnel, like Irv Smith, uh, but it does seem to be such a better fit. And you and I talked a lot last year during the season on podcast versions of this show about the play action. And now he's number one in the NFL in play action percentage. He's got 127 quarterback rating when running play action that's been such a huge part of it. I want you to explain. And, and what if what if he would have hit a couple of those deep ones down the field? Say, you know, oh, I know Bears his numbers game. would be even I, better. I mean, he's he's Kirk has missed a half dozen guys that had a step, you know, forty fifty yards down the field. And you know, listen, those those aren't easy throws. I'm not trying to say he's hit all of them, but man, if he hits a couple more of those things, uh, those numbers would would be even much better. So I want you to explain since Mike Zimmer at the podium was as effusive in his praise of anyone that I've ever heard. I think that Gary Kubiak just moved his way into a tie with Teddy Bridgewater for the people that you ever ask him about, and he just goes over the top to praise them. And we know that Zimmer is a very honest guy, and he doesn't do it unless he wants to. It's Harrison Smith, Delvin Cook, Teddy Bridgewater, and Gary Kubiak all tied for the lead um, for all-time praise from Mike Zimmer. So I want you to explain like some of these 
I guess, Gary Kubiak staples that work so well? Because, I mean, we talked about it in the offseason. It's going to work. This is why it's going to work. This is why it's going to be better. It looks really good throughout training camp for the most part. And then we start out the season, a couple of big games, some stumbling blocks, but then it's really gotten going. And aside from Kansas City, it has been great, this offense. Uh, it emerged as one of the best in the NFL. So I, I want you to give me some of the sort of Gary Kubiak classic things that worked in the 90s and worked when you were in Houston and seem to still be working today. Got you. So can I say this? Before I go into that, I'd like to say I think what also Zimmer was talking about, and not just the sexes and those stuff, uh, which Gary's basically been running a lot of the same stuff for a long time, so I think he's got a really deep knowledge of this offense and, and what he's doing and, and deep beliefs in it. But I think what what fans don't see, and even though when he was the head coach, people don't really see because it's just press conferences, he's pretty quiet, is how likable Gary is. Hmm. I mean, he is like the easiest guy to talk to. Guys who would have all, you know, personal problems occasionally, whatever, would go into his office. He was the easiest guy to talk to. He did not have that authoritarian feel to him. Um, you know, but, but obviously it wasn't a screw around session. Like he was all about being a pro. Like this is pro football. This isn't screw around time. Uh, but you know, he also was, I don't know. There's, I think that's what one of the things about probably what, what Zimmer's enjoying, uh, you know, talking to him. I know he wasn't, he was saying there wasn't much chit chat and just whatever chatter, but you know, Gary's a really easy guy to talk to. He's been around a long time. He's seen a lot of things. They both have seen a lot of things. These two, you know, old longtime coordinators and, 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 you know, head coaches now. And, and I think there's just some mutual respect there from that aspect. So, uh, in this offense, you know, we talk a lot about, the zone running game. All right. So there's really two types of zone. There's inside zone, uh, and then there's outside zone. Uh, the outside zone to me, uh, is really what makes the whole thing happen. And, and basically it's just a, it's more of what they call a stretch play basically. And as the linemen work down the line, they're trying to cut people off. You know, a, a center and guard are trying to work to cut someone off as one of them works up to the linebacker. And, he, and if you can get somebody out of the gap, as an example, I'm the center. There's somebody to my right. He is the nose tackle. If I can actually get on the other side of him, uh, his job is, to be, is that gap between the guard and the center. That is his spot. But if I can actually outflank him with, a, with the right footwork, with the right combination, you know, those types of things, he is now not in his gap, which means there can be a big hole there if everyone else gets blocked, right? So it's about forcing defenses to stay in their gaps, all right? So because of that... Teams really have to focus on being in the right spots and being in their gaps. And so they have to, you know, play the run first, uh, obviously. But on top of it, that style, those plays create great movement by the defense laterally down the line, uh, you know, left and right down the line of scrimmage. And then the quarterbacks, and it sort of creates this wall, which is fairly easy then to just create pass, uh, basically a pass protection off of it. And those pass protection plays, when the defense has really committed to the run and everyone has come up into their gaps, if it is a run, does create these big spots, uh, you know, deep down the field, uh, in the secondary because everyone's so close to one, so close to the line of scrimmage, and two, has had to try to play the run for the first two or three seconds before they even realize it's passed because it, they do such a good job of making it look the same. The details are fantastic. And, again, that's why I said I think guys enjoyed playing it because there was a sort of a black and white, this is the detail. It wasn't like, oh, just go block. It was like, no, this is ex- your exact footwork, mm-hmm. and this is what we're thinking. And that created a high, highly executing, highly efficient 
uh, sort of fundamentally sound, you know, offense that uh, you know quarterbacks can can excel in and can win games in. But I think on top of it with Gary was he also knew like he wasn't trying to like lead the league in offense. The, the NFL is different than college. Uh, it's generally not these high-scoring affairs. More often than not, it's these grinded-out games that you have to have a good defense to win championships, uh, and, and you have to have an offense that protects the football, makes a few big plays a game. A quarterback can get you know uh, first down, some third down. But you know, again, it's not about having 500 yards a game. It's 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 sort of efficiency and quality football. Uh, and so it's different than college, and it's, it's but all those details are so much to coach. That's probably why a lot of colleges don't run the style of offense anymore, uh, and they're on the shotgun. So it's highly conducive to being uh, a winning offense uh, when it's run properly. I would say the biggest biggest weakness of it is in straight drop back protection because yeah. a lot of times the the linemen are a little bit smaller. They're not looking for the big Bryant McKinney's of the, you know, and Phil Lodeholt type guys generally. <laughs> They're looking for guys that can move, like Bradbury. Bradbury, obviously, I mean, you look at him, obviously he looks like an offensive lineman, but, you know, I don't know what his body fat is, but it's not much. I mean, that guy is in really good shape. So a lot of times those guys are a little bit smaller, more around that 300-pound mark, especially on the inside and less on the, you know, 330-pound mark or whatever, like with, with some of these linemen. And so that can be hard in just straight drop-back protection. And I think we all saw that on, on Sunday night, how much Dak Prescott, a big offensive line, the, the old Dallas Cowboy Jason Garrett theory of bigger guys, they had better pass protection And uh, uh, you know, but uh, for, for Dak Prescott. And, and, and obviously the Vikings have struggled in just straight drop-back pass protection this year. Yeah, and we've seen if they can't get into second and five or second and four, how much that affects them because then it just becomes much more difficult for Kirk Cousins to use and sell the play action. And then when it's third and seven to third and ten, he has, I had this number, I'm trying to remember it, a 70 quarterback rating, I, I think in third and longer than six so far this year, which tells you a lot about how they've prevented him from being in those types of situations. Because he hasn't performed well in third and long, really at any point during his career. Uh, but the difference between last year and this year is just how many times you're in third and long last Last year, they ranked 30th in rushing, so they were in those situations a lot. I also wanted to ask you what you think about the combination of Kubiak's system with the personnel that the Vikings built around it this year. Because I think that they took the right direction. And as you remember, in the offseason, I wanted them to go even more all-in on the offensive side. But when you spend your first four draft picks on offense, and three of them are significant contributors, I think that Irv Smith has been a huge, huge deal for why this Kubiak offense has worked really well. And I'll give you a number to back that up. Out of 73 tight ends who are fairly regular players in the NFL, Irv Smith ranks 10th in run blocking. The fact that they can go down the field throwing with him, use play actions with him, and that he can block really effectively. I mean, he's up there with guys who are NFL veteran blockers in terms of his pro football focus grades. He's up there with Lee Smith and Rhett Ellison in terms of how he's grading as a run blocker. I think that's really impressive, and it's opened up a lot of different things for this Vikings offense. That pick right now, to me, I don't care what his fantasy stats are. It looks like a home run. 
I, I think so. And, and what I saw also the other day was some situations in third and sort of medium to long where they, they kept two tight ends in the game. They had Rudy on one side, and, and they'd have Irv Smith maybe in the slot. You know, while the Vikings were down a wide receiver, you know, they looked at it as, hey, if we can keep a regular personnel on defense, say three linebackers over there, uh, by having two tight ends, I, they like that matchup with Irv Smith on a linebacker and, you know, in some sort of cover two look or something like that. Uh, so, you know, they're obviously, you know, really liking this kid. That was, that was a huge pick for them. That was a pick I would say they, they couldn't miss on. Like, they really needed to have a guy like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, inter- I'm looking forward to the future because uh, we really haven't seen it yet. You know, is he going to be one of these guys that, if he can develop into a really good route runner, could do some things on the outside that we've seen teams do over the years? You know, uh, Gronkowski or, or these types of guys. Can he run sort of wide receiver routes, slants and sluggos and just stop routes or whatever and be sort of the outside uh, you know, pass, passing game. That would be absolutely huge. But you, this offense definitely needs to have two tight ends. Even three tight ends is great, too, and they use that sometimes. And, you know, you, you, you go with, say, a three tight end look or two tight ends with a fullback and a tailback, that really does limit what a defense can do. Like, they just don't have this huge playbook for when teams are in those, because those are usually sort of short yardage situations, and so teams a lot of times will have basically two or three things they'll play to, and that's pretty much it. And, uh, you know, they know they want to stop the run or whatever, and, and they'll find ways to, to run play action and things like that out of, you know, a three tight end personnel group where a team only plays two defenses. And the quarterback really has a great feel where, where he needs to go with the football because he's not getting all these blitzes from all over the place that you get when you're in, say, a four wide look. And so, uh, it, it's a neat offense to run. And, and I think, uh, you know, doing a really good job. And, but it all starts with throwing the football. It all, st- all starts with can you run the football because those play actions don't work. Uh, if you can't, and you're also in third and tens and twelves, if you don't run the football, some they don't have to be, you know, sevens and eights all the time. But it, I think I said it before the uh, the season runs of one and two uh, can be just fine. You know, sort of keep you on track because, as we all know, uh, you know, third and five is a big difference in this offense between third and ten. To me, third and ten feels like this is going to be hard to get. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, if something bad doesn't happen, third and five, I feel pretty good about. Uh, that, that, that they'll find a way to get a first down because they'll execute uh, in this sort of what I believe is a high execution offense. So, interestingly, Pro Football Focus and a couple other people who love analytics and dive deep, um, they found that even if a team isn't particularly good at running, that play action still works. But the contention I would have on that is it's not really about that so much as it is the situations where you get to run play action. Like last year, Kirk Cousins' play action percentage could have been higher for sure under John Filippo, and I'm sure some of that was play calling. But I think it was more of circumstances that have uh, allowed Cousins to be number one in the NFL in play action percentage. And the same thing went for Jared Goff when he was last year. When Todd Gurley is at his absolute best, which he is not close to anymore, he's averaging five-something yards to carry, which sets you up in second and five all the time. And then you have all these opportunities to run the play actions. So it looks like Sean McVay is this play action genius, which he may be, but it's as much the circumstance that sets that up. And I think that that was probably always something that I didn't have a great grasp of uh, before, like how these two things marry together. A lot of times we look at running like, eh, you know, it could be a very inefficient play. I mean, passing, you look at the yards per pass attempt, 
They're much higher than yards per run attempt. But this year, the way that they've tied them together, I I think it sort of encapsulates it much better to when it's running at its best with a great running back and a great passer and great receivers, how it can all come together. Yeah, and, and also just just having that extra blocker, you know that that is nice too. Right. And people think, well, well, you're only putting you know two receivers out in the pass pattern because uh, you're leaving that tight end to, tight end to block. But um, sometimes that's okay, and those guys need to can cover a lot of ground. And and uh, uh, it's it's uh, I'm I'm glad you're starting to see I guess the fruition of what I was trying to describe the last maybe couple of years, but in particular this off. I mean, I believed you when we saw this off. I know, I knew it was I know, true. So. <laughs> I, I will say this though. Um, it, this another thing is that it's just nice for linemen to to come off the ball and not have. To, I mean, pass blocking is is extremely tough. If you ask every lineman, you know, hey, we can come off the ball and run block every play. They'd prefer that every single time, I believe. Um, and we also saw against one of the best defensive lines in the league uh, on Sunday night, the Dallas Cowboys. Over the course of the game, if you can run the football. You can start to really wear them out, and that's a good D line. But they're, they're, I think, they're better pass rushers than run defenders. And uh, and they, I think this this Vikings offensive line and tight ends really sort of wore them out at the end of that football game. So it, it's a good scheme. It's if you can run the football, it's great. But it also, again, we're talking about setting up these great play action plays. And and it, I just knew that Stephon Diggs's numbers would go up uh, as far as yards per catch. And, yep. and they are obviously way up from last year. Okay, so now that I've allowed you to break down in deep dive X's and O's for 20 minutes. I need four minutes of hot take. Can you give me four minutes of a hot take? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Who is Kevin Stefanski the head coach of next year? The Chicago Bears. Really? You think so? You think they're going to fire Matt Nagy? I don't know. You just asked me the question. Yeah, it's a hot take. That's great. <laughs> hot take. All right, explain. Because I, I watch the Bears every Tuesday morning and talk about the radio in Chicago every Tuesday at 11 o'clock. And, you know, I I think Matt Nagy is not a great offensive mind by any means. I, I think Mitchell Trubisky's problems are definitely half his and half, you know, head coach, coordinator, whoever's calling and designing those plays. Uh, let's take this for example. Uh, the other day I'm watching the game. They had a nine-yard run uh, on first down, seven-yard run the next down. Mm-hmm. All right, so first down and ten going. You just got gotten eight yards of carry in the last two plays. They drop back and throw a 50-yard go route All right, to uh, uh, their small receiver, 18, uh, Taylor Gabriel, Taylor Gabriel yeah. who's screaming down the field against a corner who looks like he's about three inches taller than him, who is straight bailing like like he's running deep. Like yeah. basically it was almost like a punt and Trubisky just overthrew all of them. But like why would you do that? Like that doesn't make any sense. That's a like you've just gone, you know, running the football is a high percent percentage play, right? I mean, if you can do it, it's a high percentage play. Throwing the football 50 down, yards down the field uh when you're in a tight ball game with a quarterback who's been struggling and hasn't been playing great this year, and it's not a good look. You don't want to throw go routes versus bailing corners versus very small wide receivers. Like that's the worst thing. That's sort of the worst combination uh, that you can do. Like uh, any Kevin Stefanski, of course, would call another run because we've just gotten eight, you know, nine and seven the last two runs. We're not going to throw a go route to a, uh, you know, it, so so that combination right there, um, and the fact that they were, you know, they ran the ball first play of the game the other day. They ran for five yards. 
next play they're in shotgun. For you know, it's like why would you do that to Trubisky? Like help him out by making the game not so hard for him. Uh, but, you know, obviously, he's you know I said he's struggling as a quarterback, and so they make the game. He's making the game much harder for the quarterback, which you know I, I, I think there's only that type of offense. You have to have a special guy at the helm, and and uh, they don't have that. So you know. Good luck. Go find a special guy. It's it's hard hard to do. Ask the Vikings. They've, they've been trying to do it for a long time. But in this offense, in this Kubiak offense, and Stefanski offense, you don't have to have a miracle worker uh, to be the wheeler and dealer. And so you know, we'll we'll see how the end of the season goes in Chicago. But you know, they uh, they they won they didn't win by a ton the other day against uh, the, the Lions, who didn't even have Matthew Stafford. So I could see that that uh, that situation possibly going sideways. We'll see. I love how you took it from a blazing hot take, which is Chicago's going to fire their coach and hire Kevin Stefanski, to can you believe they ran a go route versus a bailing corner? Well, you know, I, I if I if I were the Bears, uh, um, if I was, I would I would not have him back. I think that might be one of those situations where uh, he has a great year and the next year, you know, he, he's let go. I, you know, people are starting to really question sort of the play calling in Chicago. I know fans always do that, but there's some things that make just really scratch your head of why they do certain things. And, and uh, obviously, they're, you know, their, their quarterback is really struggling. And you want a head coach who's an offensive head coach who can take any quarterback and make him do a pretty good player. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, ESPN has an article that is after my heart called 32 NFL One-Hit Wonders, which looks at players who sort of came into our vision like Peyton Hillis and David Tyree and then quickly disappeared, and they did one for every franchise. And there's some great quarterback names on this that I think we have to touch on. And also, of course, Journeyman Quarterback of the Week and Vic Fangio's defense plus... Are trap games real? I think I've asked you before, but I don't remember what you said. So I'm going to ask you if this is one coming up. We'll do all that when we return. You'll listen to Purple Daily here on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Well, they gave us a lot of different looks. Um, you know, very similar to what Chicago did a year ago. Big, thick bodies in the middle. Two edge rushers when they're in their 3-4 their aggressive. Get up the field and try and knock people back. And then the linebackers can really flow. Um, you know, I saw one play where even the guard had him cut off and uh, he went back door of him and then still ended up making a tackle. So they got guys that, that can really run. And then I think their secondary does a great job of disguising, which they did again in Chicago as well with uh, Ed Donatel, same, same guy, same coach. Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer there. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. We do this every day, 2 to 4. And if you want this amount of football in your face, but you can't catch it because you're in your car and so forth, you can always download the full podcast versions of the show. Just go to wherever you get your podcasts, the little purple app or Spotify, whatever it is. Type in Purple Daily and it will show up. And you subscribe, and that's it. And you can also leave a comment. That helps other people find it. Uh, okay, uh, tell me, Sage, are you a believer in trap games? That, is that a real thing? Uh, not in professional football. In more like collegiate high school sports, definitely. Okay. Not in professional football, no. I've always felt that way, too. And 
I don't know if there are studies on it. I think that there is one study that was done somewhere. Is, is, is there a uh, trap game criteria? Yeah, I mean, that would be the hard thing, right? Is like, what do we describe as a trap game? Maybe if you're playing a bad team before a good team or just a good team is playing a bad team could be called a trap game, I guess. Um, for the Vikings, I think this fits the bill. You have the bye week next week. After that, you have a matchup in Seattle on Monday Night Football against the Seahawks. You're feeling great about yourself coming off the win, and this would be the, quote, trap game. But I don't think so this I just is, don't this think is why it's real. I it's definitely not. Okay, because this team, uh, there's, I believe, three games this year uh, where they lost by a point or two points. They've run in some some bad luck early in the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they could not rush the passer, which that's not really bad luck, but that's surprising. Like, they had no sacks through, like, four games or something like that, even very few quarterback pressures. Obviously, everyone's worried about Von Miller. I think teams get the ball out uh, you know fairly quickly against them and don't hold on to it but uh, the, you know they lost a game because of a I don't know if it was Von Miller or, or um, is it Chubb on the other side or for like a you know one of those roughing the quarterback plays yes. yep. early in the season I think that was against the Bears uh, you who got a win so I think this is a pretty good football team and their offense by the way similar style we're going to see very similar style offenses because this is rich scangarello who came from kyle shanahan as his quarterback's coach in san francisco mm-hmm. uh, over the course of these last you know f- three or four seasons or whatever so he, they've been around each other for a while though uh at some of his other stops rich has been there so we're going to see a similar style of offense. I think this is a team that's getting better and playing better, and it's a better football team than their record. And uh, so, no, definitely not a trap game. Now, if this is the like New York Jets, that to me is a trap game because they're they're a bad football team, and and that's one that uh, you know the Vikings you you would think would just be able to roll over. But you know it's the NFL, and everyone's getting paid, and everyone's got good athletes, and and uh, you know it's uh, that's. Uh, uh, it's any given Sunday more than I think than like a college football team. So I was looking at the Denver numbers, and I agree with you that this is not a team that you can just overlook and say, well, they're trash, no big deal, um, because they're f- fourth in the NFL in yards allowed, sixth in points allowed, fourth in first downs given up. Uh, they're good in the red zone. Like Their defense has been legit really, really good. And you mentioned all the close losses. I mean, that, that Bears game, they lost by two points. They held it really close with the Green Bay Packers in, in Week 3. And even, um, you know, against Indianapolis, they won by, or they lost by two points and they had the ball at the end. And, and really looking through this team, they've got some decent weapons. Noah fans played pretty well for them. Uh, their receiver, Cortland Sutton, has been pretty good. It was that Joe Flacco is just super washed. Like, I make the Rodgers wash joke. This is not a joke. Like, Joe Flacco was epically washed. And now Brandon Allen, weirdly, I think it's it's very similar to when I said to you in Chicago, hey, Trubisky just went down. I think they have a better chance to win. I think that the Broncos have a much better chance to win with this dude, Brandon Allen, who I've never even really heard of, versus the way that Joe Flacco was playing. He was playing, like, essentially you would expect from a backup quarterback who doesn't keep his job the next year. Yeah, this I said this is a good team, and and uh, I believe Allen played fairly well. Was it last week or two weeks ago? I think I think they yeah. were on a bye last. Yeah, they week. were on a bye last week, which is That's another an, thing too. Vic Fangio, thing. two yeah. weeks to get ready for Kirk Cousins. He owned Kirk Cousins last year. I don't it, think it, this game is a joke. Well, with the conversation going full circle here, 
All right, Vic Fangio, former core defensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears. Yeah. All right, so that that defense not as good as it was last year. Maybe the overall team. I, from what I hear, Vic Fangio was very much one of those uh, coaches that sort of everybody loved. The offensive guys, you know, even liked him, and I think it really made that Chicago team better. He's gone. He's out here, you know, starting over from scratch, and yeah, and you know, the quarterback situation is a problem. Uh, it, it's not their strength, but uh, you know, you know, whoever plays or or whatever, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, they're going to play against this defense, who's got its own problems, as we know, uh, in particular with that cornerback position uh, with all the one-on-one stuff on the outside. So, uh, yeah, I think this is a dangerous football team. And, and, and as we were talking earlier, they have played a lot of teams very close. Uh, they've won some games. They've lost some really close ones that could be either way. I mean, this could, team could be 6-3, and three, but they're, instead they're 3-6. and six. And so, you know, should be should, should be a good one on, uh, on, on Sunday. What does Vic Fangio do that gets to Kirk Cousins so well? Because Week 17 last year, the Vikings in the second half of that game aren't really facing the A-team. And they have Vaughn Miller, you know, Khalil Mack. The Vikings could not block worth anything. The Vikings couldn't slow down uh, Zadarius Smith when they played him against the Green Bay Packers. To me, that would be the biggest concern here is that uh, if you're going to lose a game against a team that is inferior, you're probably going to lose it because some defensive end wrecked your entire game plan. That seems to be how the Vikings can lose games against inferior teams. I would say the same thing for Kansas City with Chris Jones. He had seven pressures in that game and just mauled the offensive line, and, and that was the difference in, in the game. This could very well happen. I mean, I'm going to pick the Vikings by two touchdowns here because they're at U.S. Bank Stadium, and I've never heard of the other quarterback, but... If we were looking at a scenario in which this could go very wrong, I think it's the defensive line just blows up your game plan. That that would be exactly it. I mean, I think with Vic, his the D line has been the strength over the years. I think he knows how to take advantage of sort of the weakest link of the offensive line and, and know how knows how to line his guys up and, and a lot of times stop the run. They've always had he's always liked to have the big interior guys like the you know uh, Akeem Nix. Uh, over there in Chicago, he likes those types of guys with a special edge rush, you know, a uh, pass rusher on the edge, and he's got a couple of good guys out there in Denver. So uh, it's that is where sort of this defense starts uh, and its most important aspect of it. And I think Vic does a nice job of creating one-on-one situations. You know, let's just say uh, you have a premier defensive end. Uh, you know, let's let let's put a linebacker up next to him so that guard has to take the linebacker, which makes that defensive end you know completely by himself, and the guard can't help out. He knows how to sometimes get uh, the weaker player on uh, an off weaker offensive player sort of on an island, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that takes some real smart coaching and strategy, and it's not as simple as it seems just to do that, and and uh, you know a lot of it is you know protection issues by for, for the offense. He can sometimes break down protection stuff. They also run around their fair share, which is, you know, they, they, they do create some confusion defensively. They don't just sort of line up and you know exactly what you're in. So as a quarterback, that can be challenging too. And you hold the ball an extra half second and, you know, Von Miller gets two and it's a sack fumble. And, and, uh, you know, that, that 10 point lead that you had, uh, is now only a field goal. So, uh, you know, I think that's the way they, they win football games is making some of their sort of offense from their defense. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels here. We have turned over to preview the game against the, 
Broncos mode, but uh, I saw an article on ESPN that it was sort of one of those stop everything. I don't care what I'm doing. I'm reading this, even if you and I are still talking on the radio. And that was 32 NFL one hit wonders. And of course, you know what came to my mind immediately, Sage, was which quarterbacks are on this list. So <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you the first name that pops up that is in our era of football, not going back a long time, is your friend A.J. Feely when he went 4-1 and one for the Philadelphia Eagles. They did one for each team, just a random guy who didn't have a big, long career but did something great. Peyton Hillis was on the cover of Madden. David Tyree is another example of a guy who didn't have a great career, but he caught a football on his helmet, so he'll always be known for that uh, in New York and in the NFL AJ Feely, the first name on the list, I think is such a great one where he went four and one in 2002. I'll give you the other quarterbacks and then you can tell me which one stands out. Tommy Maddox, his season coming off the XFL. I mean, that is an all timer. 20 touchdowns in 2002. By the way, I will say this Tommy Maddox was, I believe, previously a first round draft pick. Yeah, no, he was right. He was a good. He was a good player, and then he yeah. kind of had his career run its course. That he wasn't really a starter, and it was over. And then he just kind of kept it alive, almost like we've talked about with NFL Europe, how these guys always show up in NFL Europe. And and then there's some a little bit more, um, I guess, in the weeds ones here, like Rob Johnson for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He had one good game at the end of the 1997 season. Then the Buffalo Bills traded for him, and they sent a first-round pick for him based on like one or two games. And, of course, he was a bust in Buffalo. But well, that but was a sort on. of not, shining not, moment. Not only that is Flutie played the entire season. The following year, Flutie beat him out, I believe. He got and, hurt. Rob Johnson got, got hurt, hurt, and Flutie came in and played better and then but, stole the but, job. But played most of the year. Yes. Hold on, played most of the year. Week 17, I think they're going to get a bye in the playoffs, or, or they have nothing to play for, but so they're, they're, they're going to arrest Flutie. Rob Johnson's now healthy. They play Rob Johnson. He plays so well against a team that in a game that doesn't matter. They make him the starter for the playoffs, and that ended up being the Music City Miracle yes. game. I'm really glad that you remembered that, because <laughs> that was... Imagine if we had our media today, the way it is covering the NFL, what that would have been like. The decision to bench a guy who was the starting quarterback, that was in the 99 season. Flutie sort of emerged as this great story in 98, and then 99, he had the job the whole way, until, like you said, this crazy great game against the Indianapolis Colts in Week 17, and the story story goes that basically the old man owner, Ralph Wilson, told the coach, you have to play Rob Johnson because he loved Rob Johnson because they traded a first round pick for him and he wanted to be right about that decision. And actually, Rob Johnson led a game winning drive. He, he had played terribly in the game for the most part, but led a game winning drive. And then the, you know, the forward pass happened, which we tried to I tried to get Lorenzo Neal, who was blocking on that play to admit that it was a forward pass, but he denied me on that. Um, the other one's Tim Tebow. We all remember how fun that was for a very short time, but he couldn't throw a football. And the other one that gets mentioned that's sort of fun is with the Oakland Raiders, Terrell Pryor, when he got a start at quarterback and he had like a 90 yard touchdown run. And it was kind of, wait, is this, is this guy going to be this next sort of like fun running quarterback? And then he ended up having to become a receiver, had one good season. And that was basically it for Terrell Pryor. So, well, well, any of those what, stand out to you? Well, obviously AJ, we could talk, we, we, you know, could talk about him. I remember that I was in Miami during that time, and he had this great season. I don't believe any of those teams were uh, were playoff teams that he beat. So he goes four and one against basically all non playoff teams. And uh, the next year, teams were going to want to trade for him. 
but uh, uh, Andy Reid loved him as, a, as sort of the number two guy. He was actually, strangely, the number three guy because Coy Detmer was the holder, and they had to have Coy as the number Detmer. two guy. But if there was ever going to be a long stretch, it was sort of AJ's. He was really the backup and took the backup reps in practice. Um, but so the, his third season in the league, the, his great season he had, that four and one season, was season number two. You know, as rookies, you basically have four-year contracts. And so, uh, uh, you know, the third season, he doesn't really play at all. And then we trade for him in the offseason with the second rounder down in Miami. And uh, I don't know. He, he never played very well. He may start half the season. Him and Jay Fiedler uh, sort of battled, battled it out, and he sort of played the second half of the season. So uh, that was my, you know, year or whatever. year I played the year and a half with A.J. But, yeah, the four-and-one season. They, I mean, and he, he lives in Philadelphia. He lives in the suburbs of Philadelphia today and uh, because they love him there. You know, you know he – he uh, he got, and also he had a second stint. He came back a second time uh, when Andy Reid was there at the end, and, and I believe Jeff Garcia started a playoff game, and AJ backed him up. So yeah, he was a, a second stint guy as well. Classic uh, journeyman quarterback. I love that we don't even need Wiki for these things. We just ask you about the backup quarterbacks, and you know them yeah, all. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we mar- could, married we... a uh, mar- married a soccer player too. Uh, what I'd like to talk about <laughs> on this list, by the way, is a running back, not a quarterback. Okay, who's that? Mister Steve Slayton. Oh, yes, uh, I, that's right. West Virginia, right? West Virginia. Uh, and, uh, you know, they had a really good West Virginia team. Um, and, uh, he was a third round pick. We had multiple running backs on the team. We had Amon Green. Uh, we had some other guys, Chris Taylor, you know, a couple other guys that no one's ever heard of. And Slayton was a smaller back. He was not a big guy, uh, but he was quick and he had a little speed to him. And sure enough, he runs for almost 1,300 yards that year. Again, you know, uh, again, this, this offense, Gary Kubiak and Mike, Mike Shanahan and going way back, they've got this history of taking sort of, you know, not first round, you know, Adrian Peterson, you know, Ricky Williams type guys and making them into really quality backs. And he ran for 10 touchdowns that, uh, that year and, and 1,282 yards. And so that's a guy on the list that sort of, you know, shoots out at me. And that was, he had some okay years after that, but, uh, but nothing like that campaign where I, I believe he was like the rookie of the year. Uh, at least he was in the AFC. So Steve Slayton was my, my guy on the list that stuck out. And just one more before we go to the break. So Jonas Gray is on this list. He had a four touchdown game on a Sunday night football match matchup between the Patriots and the Colts and then disappeared forever. But in 2016, uh, myself and Ben Gessling from the Star Tribune were standing in the Vikings locker room and a guy walked by who we didn't recognize. We're like, oh, this must be like a tryout guy. Who is that? So he looked like a running back. So we're searching free agent running backs and looking at their pictures and like, is it him? Is it him? So finally, Ben just walked up to him and introduced him and it was Jonas Gray, who the Vikings decided not to sign, but it was a sort of blast from the past. Wait, where has this guy been since his four-touchdown game? And I'm really glad he's on the list. So um, let's take a break. We'll talk about a backup journeyman quarterback for the Denver Broncos, who have uh, generally had um, John Elway as their quarterback for the most part, but have a few gems mixed in to their great history. So we'll talk about that when we return, as we always do on a Wednesday. Matthew Collar and Sage Rosenfels on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download for this hour. Listen to Score North with Amazon Alexa. Just say Alexa, open Score North, and you'll hear the soothing sounds of Purple Daily, Mackie and Judd with Rami, and much, much more. Again, just say Alexa, open Score North. Kirk Cousins took to the podium today to meet with the press midweek. 
He was asked about his numbers being up this year. His yards per attempt, yards per completion are up. QB ratings up 13 points, and he's now just one win away from matching last year's total. When asked about that, here's what he had to say. Well, you know, I think it's a it's a variety of factors. It's hard to point to any one thing. You know, we, we've run the ball very effectively. That takes a lot of pressure off of a quarterback needing to, you know, pass the ball all the time. You know, I'm sure by the end of the year, our attempts will be far less than what they were last year. So that's certainly one place. But uh, I could go down with, with other reasons as well. And ultimately, it comes down to when you have great people around you, you know, that's coaches and players uh, and, and management too. It just puts you in a position to be successful. That's your Score North download. Now back to the final segment of the first hour of Purple Daily. All right, we got hot routes coming up at 3 o'clock with Brian Murphy. Then Steve Palazzolo will come on from Pro Football Focus to talk about if this offense can guide the Minnesota Vikings deep into the playoffs or if we're getting a little out in front of ourselves to be talking about that just yet. Um, Sage Rosenfels and I, what we do here for the final segment of our Wednesday bit is to talk about our journeyman quarterback of the week. And I didn't tell you who I picked this week because I was wondering if we would pick the same guy. Mm. I went with Steve Beerline. Oh, Because I think he's one of those great names. He played from 1988 to 2003, spent his final two seasons with the Denver Broncos, got in a little, only started like five games for them, didn't do so well. He was pretty much shot at that time. But Steve Beerline popping up and leading the NFL in yards passing in 1999, making his lone Pro Bowl out of all those years as a backup and a guy who just comes in and maybe starts a little, and then having that shining season, even though he only went 500 that year, but leading the NFL in passing, 36 touchdowns, it's it's just a classic journeyman story to be 34 years old and all of a sudden have this pretty great season and i always loved steve Beerline. yeah that. almost sounds like uh tommy maddox you know some guy more mm-hmm. at the end of their career having this great year and this is obviously in denver and this is obviously uh mike shanahan and, and gary kubiak right so uh took an old guy and taught him a few new tricks it seems like had, had a pretty good season my guy is from omaha nebraska went to school at Nebraska, Omaha, or they used to call Omaha University back in the day. Now, usually I always pick someone more uh, closer to you know my age, somebody I know or have met or watched play. Uh, but th- this guy I, I never saw play, didn't know much about, Marlon Briscoe. Wow, I don't know Marlon anything Briscoe, about Marlon Briscoe. Also known as the, uh, as the magician, uh, was drafted in the 14th round uh, uh, by the Broncos. They wanted to they wanted him to play cornerback. Uh, he wanted to play quarterback, and he ended up playing quarterback. Uh, he was a backup, and and he was a third string guy. Finally gets thrown in there and has some crazy stats. Uh, threw for forty one point five percent. Right, <laughs> I mean that it was a different game back then. Yeah, um, but he also threw for three hundred thirty five yards in a game, which was a rookie record until Elway broke it his rookie year. Years later, uh, he threw fourteen touchdown passes and only five starts. So he sort of started the end of the season. So it sounds like he was sort of a home run hitter. You know, a few last strikeouts with a low percentage, uh, but could sort of make things happen. He was tiny. He was 5'10", 177 mm-hmm. pounds, right? So that, this is why teams did not want him to play quarterback and he ended up playing quarterback. Well, 
He ends up moving on for from the, the Broncos, despite the, the, this fact. They still didn't trust him as a quarterback, mm. and they want him to play receiver. Uh, and 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 so they re, he ended up getting released, and and he ended up moving to uh, other teams, and ended up be, uh, becoming a really good wide receiver around the NFL, and played for a really long time. Uh, but he was, I believe, the first African American uh, uh, quarterback um, uh, in the NFL. Yes, I, I, I was yes. reading that somewhere. In That's here. right. So that that would that's an interesting uh, tidbit uh, about him, but end up uh, being on the Dolphins uh, at one point in his career, and uh, I, I believe like led their team in receiving uh, during the Super Bowl years of seventy two and seventy three, where he won two Super Bowl trophies uh, under Don Shula's crew down there. So a guy drafted in the fourteenth round, and hmm. uh, having one heck of a career, and uh, and has a great name, Marlon Briscoe, and there's a statue of him. At the University of Omaha, Nebraska, which does even have a football, which does not have a football program any longer. Uh, he is definitely a journeyman too. Broncos, Bills, Dolphins, Chargers, Lions, and New England Patriots. That's a great pick. You kind of went deep in the weeds there, but the first ever black starting quarterback, Marlon oh, Briscoe. One added that one added thing, as we always talk about. Touchdowns and interceptions, fourteen touchdowns and fourteen interceptions. <laughs> right, just the reason he wasn't the starter. Too many interceptions, uh, but obviously he, he could throw the ball pretty well. Yeah, and uh, probably if it was today's game, he would have stuck at quarterback and been in a nice little Shanahan or Kubiak system or something, and or or maybe uh, you know, something uh, like that. Yeah, or maybe in the, uh, the sort of the Lamar. It sounds like more of a Lamar Jackson type of system yeah. in the sense yeah. of a guy that could really run. Of course, he's tiny. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that might be a new thing in the NFL and, and we'll get to that where you don't have to get this, you know, great passer and, uh, or whatever that a guy that also has a special skill of running the football, that might be the future. Uh, and I only can imagine, you know, a guy like that in, in this offense, which is already run heavy, uh, and run dominant. If you could add a running quarterback to the mix, I'm sure that would make it even, uh, you know, more challenging for a defense. So something funny that I dug up in Steve Beerline's Wikipedia was that he signed a one day contract to retire as a Carolina Panther, which is funny because he went 23 and 28 as a starter for Carolina and never made the playoffs. But I believe he was the starter when they first added. Um, the franchise, I believe, or, or no, that, that was that Kerry Collins. I think I'm trying to think who the starter was. I do know this: there was a game uh, where Steve Berline, I believe, was was playing. It was like uh, fourth and five from the five, playing at Green Bay. And they called a quarterback draw, and he scored. And I think he was like the slowest. I mean, it was almost of a joke because he was like so slow. Yeah. Uh, but somehow he, you know, sort of muscled his way in there. I do remember that uh, as a kid, or maybe in, in in high school or college or something, watching that uh, watching that highlight. Okay, we only have like a minute here, but I will give you five American dollars if you can guess who the first quarterback was to start a game for the Carolina Panthers ever in their history. It's a journeyman backup quarterback. Hmm. You literally have less than a minute to guess because we have to go to break. <laughs> yeah, I, I, he started I don't know. against Jeff George, which is great. It was Frank Reich. He was the first oh. guy. Yep, he was sacked nine times in that game, and then they oh, turned wow. it over to Kerry Collins shortly. Well, well after. there you go. But that team, I believe, and the Jacksonville Jaguars came in together. Were they not in the uh, championship games in year two? Yes, I, be- I believe yep. both of them was. Yep, uh, very impressive. And the Texans have and, not uh, have not matched that, despite their well, much longer history. No, and Steve Beerline played for both. Uh, okay, Sage, great stuff as always. And we will get together on Monday to break this one down. What happens between the Vikings and Broncos? Thanks for your time, man.
Sounds good. Great show. All right. Brian Murphy is coming up next. We've got some hot routes for you. Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus to dive deep into the numbers that make the Vikings offense look pretty darn good. We'll do it all when we return. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Caller has questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Three! Red, red, red! Red Polly! Blue Poncho! In rapid fire fashion. Gun flex right stack. 394 Dragon Smoke. It's Hot Routes on Purple Daily. 580! 397! Hold on, I'm busy. Hold on. I'm showing Brian Murphy the picture of Rex Ryan on a double bike with Rob Ryan. Hold on. I've it, it's what? it's loading slowly. It sounds like a very tender moment. It, it is it's amazing. <laughs> sounds like something. It's amazing. Uh so I was telling Brian because of one of our upcoming questions about how I will always defend Rex Ryan because <laughs> of the way that Rex Ryan treated people when he was in Buffalo. And one of the mistakes he made as the Buffalo Bills head coach was hiring his stupid brother, Rob Ryan, who's a terrible defensive coordinator, to help him with the defense, and it made it worse as opposed to fixing the issues because Rob has no idea what he's doing. And uh, one of the great things was they would come to to Rex and Rob sometimes with different little bits because they had such a good sense of humor. And one of them was to ride a double bike through the park. Just... I mean, imagine you're at the park jogging Two grown men. and Rob Ryan and Rex Ryan on a double bike just go cruising by Yeah, you. with the middle bar just bending, <laughs> bending all the integrity. It's, the picture is unbelievable. Uh, so just Google search Rex and Rob Ryan. But somehow bike. that's okay, but grown men celebrating birthdays is... No. We're still no. on this? My gosh, let it go. <laughs> the, it was Judd's birthday today, the, though. The, he the, turned 50. The issue with the birthday, which was several weeks ago now, I know. was that Andy Dalton was benched I, I, on his birthday. Yeah, I know that. Which would have been terrible for him had he been 12. I know. I brought it up. But as an adult, who cares if it was his birthday? That's the point. But Judd can like, celebrate it, uh, his it, 50th? It, it's a milestone? If something happened to Judd today that didn't go his way, would we be like, on his birthday... What a shame. He's 50. Yeah, if he spins out on the freeway and wrecks his car tonight on his birthday, I would feel terrible about that. I'd feel terrible no matter what. Mm. His birthday wouldn't make a difference. Anyway, let's get into the hot routes here. I was just explained also. These are some beauty topics. I love it. I was just explained by Brian. Mansplained. There is a thing. Yeah, well, I guess so. That's not really how that works. Uh, But (laughs) that... When you give someone oh, five yeah. bucks to pay you back eventually, mm-hmm. you say in Minnesota, I'm going to borrow you five bucks? Yeah. yeah. I'm not yeah. from here, and I find it uh, horribly offensive and, and disgusting. Sociopath came up with this. And I'm, just, I'm surprised Welcome you're just... Welcome to Minnesota, dis- Yeah, I can't believe you just discovered I, that. I, I guess what, I don't three, four years now lend just money to anyone out? that is lending money. Of course, money. you lend. You don't borrow. And I guess I've, I don't borrow, which would be Borrow is never a money. verb. It's never a verb. Well, no, that's not true. It is a verb. Of course, you take it from somebody, most, but you don't give. Most Minnesota things I'm fairly on board with. I don't have a boat uh, or go out on lakes, but I like lakes. I like being around them. I, I'll kayak. Um, I'm not a big fisher person, but I, I support nature. <laughs> that's the term. And 
You know, so a lot of things. I, I have not had hot dish, but I like food. You like tater tots? Part. Oh yeah. You like so gravy? I, you I like ground beef? The fact that you Mix can get them together. The fact that you can get tater tots anywhere at every bar and restaurant with anything, you could be like, I'd like your filet mignon. Do you want tots with that? Like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> and a baked potato, too. Low to that. Uh, that's great. But this, yeah. this makes me question everything. And also how people are driving. There is one inch of snow out there. Not are you guys going to be Not okay? Not even that. Good God. All right. Let's get into hot routes here. Um, Brian Murphy. Mm-hmm. The uh, Jets owners say that they will not fire Adam Gase, which is a of course hilarious he's get canned. thing, right? Because that <laughs> always means you're fired. If anyone has to answer to "Will your guy be fired?" he's fired. Um, who's the worst coach you've ever seen or covered as a reporter or just as a general viewer of sport? The most bad, awful, clueless coach. Because Adam Gase is going to be my future answer after he gets fired. Uh, the worst one I ever covered was Brad Childress. Now, he had a decent record. He had a much better record than Leslie Frazier did, his successor, but he also was the worst control freak I had ever seen and, and basically scripted his own demise uh, by deciding to f- you know cut Randy Moss without telling ownership. Uh, he was gone very quickly after that. Uh, the worst coach I've ever seen, i got to go back to my Lions roots here a little bit, uh, Two thousand uh, Marty Morningwag. Now, I remember him, yeah. He I, he was a very successful defensive coordinator, I believe, with the Philadelphia Eagles before the Lions got him. Uh, he will he will go down in history for making the worst possible decision I have ever seen an NFL coach make. In 2002, they're in Chicago at Soldier Field. Okay, it's outdoors, a little breezy in Chicago. We get yeah, that, right? Yeah. Game goes the into Windy overtime. City, they call it. The, the game goes into overtime. The Lions win the coin toss. No brainer, right? Yeah, we're gonna t- we got Jason Hansen. The guy can kick an eighty yard field. We're gonna take the ball. Yeah, Jason in fact, we just drove start. down the field to tie the game. We've got all the momentum. We're gonna take the ball and we're gonna win, right? No, Marty Morningwag and the television cameras caught him doing this. He's standing there pointing sideways, like east to west, telling his captains, "Defer. We want the wind <laughs> in overtime. Get in overtime. This is before everybody got a possession." <laughs> This is the sudden death, sudden death and, days. And even when anyone, everyone does get a possession, it's stupid. He kicks. And, it's senseless. and as it turns out, the Lions never got the ball. Opening drive. <laughs> Chicago scores a field goal to win the game. And he was roasted. Oh, Deservedly so. That's, that's the worst terrific. coach I've ever seen. That's terrific. How about you, Jonathan? Uh, the first one who came up to mind when I got this question, Tim Brewster. I mean, mainly because recency bias of just... I didn't know we could do college. That changes everything. You could do whatever. You could do any sport. You could do okay. basketball. I didn't even know that. You? You, I brought up baseball here once, and you got angry. Does that change the answer for you right now? No, uh, college? I, but I would have said Brewster. Yeah, honestly, Brewster's combative Wednesdays with Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have the. You just couldn't coach, man. Like it's just simple <laughs> there was as that. that. <laughs> Fifteen and thirty. Yeah, it's Rose not Bowls, a good record. Going to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> Sometimes bad coaching just is full of BS all the time. It's just yeah, you've heard that good. before. The uh, Supreme Court decision, you know, I, I know you know porn, porn when, when you see it. See it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like I know bad coaching when I see it. Yeah. It's when the team's horrible and everyone looks clueless. That's it. And that was the Buffalo Bills with Greg Williams, and that's my pick, <laughs> that's Greg Williams. One. And I thought about my buddy Double G Williams. I, I thought about my buddy Doug Marone. Because he was a tyrant, and I didn't enjoy being around him. But I can't say he was the worst football coach. Like, I always argue that Doug knew football really, really well. He was just a nut job when it came to, like, everything. And my favorite story that I heard after he got fired was that in training camp, the video people showed a highlight of a cornerback intercepting a pass. 
and he got mad and forced them to take it down from their team website because he thought it was embarrassing their quarterback. Like, what? And why are you on your team's Get website? Get off the team website, man. Don't like worry Trubisky, about turn that. the TVs off. Right. Uh, Greg Williams, one of my favorite things is the challenge came back around that time, and he went 8 for 25 with challenges. The most (laughs) senseless, clueless challenger of challenges ever. His defenses were terrible, despite the fact that they had really, really good personnel. He went 6 and 10 as a head coach, and then he just quit. He didn't get fired. He just left. And he's a bad human being. And he is a bad dude, so it's very easy to pick him for this. Our next hot route, Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson are going to face each other this week, which is the how right was Matthew Collar about stuff bowl, right? Like Because, these, because I'm not aware of this oh, context. These, these two quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. These two quarterbacks are guys that dropped in the draft for the most hysterical reasons in the entire world. The non-traditionals. And my brain imploded when... The Bills traded out of a pick where they could have taken Watson or Mahomes. And then Lamar Jackson drops to 32. Like, did you watch these fellows play college football? Deshaun Watson against Alabama leads a game-winning drive and has historically great seasons. Turns around a Clemson program that was mediocre for a long time. And this is not the guy you're going to draft. No, it's Mitch Trubisky. Good luck with that. And like, oh yeah, Josh Allen. Sure, good luck. The guy couldn't complete passes at Wyoming. Sure, who wants a Heisman? Anyway, uh, tell me the best quarterback v. quarterback matchup ever. Like, your favorite. I I got two, uh, and I'm just going to make one quick reference. The The best one ever was Super Bowl nineteen. Joe Montana, 15-1 49ers against 13-3 Miami Dolphins. Oh, Dan yeah. Marino, who one. set the record with 48 touchdown passes this year. Now, the game was a blowout, but up to that point, that was the greatest quarterback, and the stakes were pretty high. But I think just in terms of drama and background, you got to go back to 1994, Week 2, Again, Joe Montana, Steve Young. Oh, okay. You're uh, picking a different one than me. I thought you're, you're going back to the same era as where I'm going to go to. Oh, so the hype I, leading up I to this game, same this was, was as big as a playoff game ever was. I mean, I, I remember it watching it. It was Summerall and Madden. It was week two at Arrowhead. And, of course, everybody knows, it. you know, Young was traded to San Francisco in 87 with promises that he was going to start because Bill Walsh said Joe Montana's back. He's never going to play again. Well, of course, he comes back. He leads the 49ers to consecutive Super Bowl wins in 88-89. Young standing standing on the sidelines the whole time. More back problems, sideline Montana. Most of 91 and 92 and even 93. Young couldn't lead the Niners mm-hmm. uh, for the first two years into the Super Bowl. Then he loses. He's the MVP uh, in 92. And then he loses consecutive NFC Championship games to the Cowboys, of course, who go right. on to win, uh, while Montana recovers, and then the Niners are like, "Well, we got to trade our future legend. We we've got the MVP, so they change trade him to Kansas City." Resurgent Chiefs. Uh, this was a star power type game. I mean, you had Marcus Allen and Neil Smith and Derek Thomas with with the Chiefs. Besides Montana, the Niners, of course, were loading up. They had Deion Sanders coming back uh, in, and uh, Richard Dent they had signed that year. So this 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 had to happen, right? They Man. had there had to be a reckoning. Nineties Chiefs were great, and Miami or Miami and uh, Montana. Uh, actually, beat Young and outplayed yep. him that day. Yep. Young got beat up. I've got it right here. Um, uh, but Young had the last laugh because obviously he leads the the Niners into the the Super Bowl and then he pounds Kansas or uh, San Diego. I don't remember. It was forty nine to twenty never or something. Been so upset as when San Diego beat the Miami Dolphins in that AFC Championship 
and it, it denied us of Marino versus yes. Young in and, the Super and Bowl. Like, knew, oh, Stan and everybody great. knew the Chargers were going to get rolled, and they did. They Alfred laid down. Papuno and uh, uh, first, I remember Young scored on the first drive. I think he threw a bomb to Rice, and yeah. the game was over, was essentially. Over. But then there's the infamous clip of him on the sidelines. You know, somebody grab this monkey off my back. Get it <laughs> off of me. And then he has his, his rant in the, uh, in the locker room clutching the Super Bowl trophy. Anyway, that was his good, a hyped, regular season quarterback matchup as you'll ever have. What do you got, Jonathan? I'm going to go back to 2014 later in the season. All these young kids, they can't look back more than 10 years. Go ahead. Pardon me. (laughs) Pardon me when two 9-3 teams went at it in Green Bay when the Packers host, or sorry, not, yeah, Green Bay, Lambeau Field. Green Bay and the Patriots, both Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers throwing for 613 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions that day. Great game. It's a pretty good pick, Brian. I would get, yeah, for the numbers, for the legends, yes, I'll give you that. We may see him again in uh, first week of February. with everything, Brian. Sorry. Oh, today. It's the back. snow. I'm a little... Well, I, I can't blame you after driving in. Like, how does this happen? How is there a pileup when there's not even snow on the ground? There's just like a little wetness. And I had to wait for your guys' uh, snowblower guy. There's a half inch on the snow before I could pull into the parking lot. Well, that's like How are you snowblowing with a half inch? Let's shovel it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big parking lot. Uh, I also <laughs> went with the 94 season, and I thought you mm. were going to go with this game. An overtime matchup between John Elway and Joe Montana. Montana okay. with the Chiefs yeah. and John Elway. Big and division clash. It was a, a late season game. It wasn't a high scoring one, but those two guys going at it. Um, no, I'm sorry. It was it was early in the season. It was a Monday night football game. I was looking at the wrong box score. And it was just great. Back and forth. They both led game-winning drives. Like, Elway leads a game-winning drive and just leaves a little too much time for Montana. You know it's coming. He leads the drive. Montana looks really shot at the time, so he's basically just willing himself to make throws. And he hits some receiver no one's ever heard of in the corner of the end zone. He reaches out over the pie line to win 31-28. And Montana and the offense put up 400 yards passing, almost 500 total yards against the Broncos. That game was one of those from your childhood that you never, ever forget those two guys going at it. And then, yes, many a time we cannot forget the Brady versus Manning matchups. I mean, uh, there were a lot of them. And the championship game in 2015 was fascinating because uh, Manning got off to a really fast start when he was playing for Denver. He threw a couple touchdowns right away. We always talk about how shot he was that year, but he played great early in the game, and then they decided to sit on the lead, and Brady had a tight end playing left tackle or something. It was a disaster on his offensive line. He's getting destroyed. They score a touchdown, but have to go for two, miss the two-point conversion. Like That was a bloodbath, and the last iteration of Manning-Brady was kind of awesome in a way. Hey, Quick shout out to the boomers out there that are listening, and we know you are on AM radio. Uh, Super Bowl thirteen, Terry Bradshaw versus Roger Staubach. Yeah, round two, uh, two great games. That was the f- that was the first Super Bowl I ever remember watching. That's how old I am, but I do remember being in my grandparents' house watching that game and that knowing who Roger Staubach and Terry Bradshaw were. I've not had an opportunity to 12s. say this to anyone before, but okay, boomer. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a boomer. I'm not no, even no, close. Not. What are you, Gen, Gen X? Xer? Yeah, but still, but it's not about being a boomer. It's about acting like one. I think. <laughs> Sorry. But, okay. Uh, next hot route here <laughs> with the Vikings playing the Denver Broncos. I want you guys to give me the coolest Denver Bronco, not named John Elway. Doesn't have to be necessarily a superstar. Just the coolest Denver Bronco. 
Uh, I will defer, Jonathan. You can use whatever standard you want. Just a cool-ass Denver Bronco. I'll go a little bit longer than 10 years ago. Ryan, you okay with this one? Yeah, I'm Jake Plummer? I know, you have to check Jake the Snake. Was there a person when he grew out that beard when he got to Denver who more looked like he encompassed the city than Denver the mountains, Jake Plummer. Then he we leaves. We will be legal here soon. <laughs> it's Jake Plummer. <laughs> and then he left in the in his prime to go play handball and yes. just hang out with his family. I kind of like that attitude. Yeah. It was a little bit uh, anti. He was an anti hero. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And went thirteen and three one year with them with Gary. Yeah. Uh, who's your favorite or coolest Bronco? I'm going to go Shannon Sharp. Uh, you know, he he won a couple titles with Elway, uh, arguably one of the best tight ends ever, but was also a great personality, outsized personality. Yes. Two things come to mind with with him. Um, in 2000, I got to go cover the AFC Championship game in my first year with the Pioneer Press, back when the paper was swimming in money. And we also <laughs> thought the Vikings were going to go to the Super Bowl that year. That was 41 donut game. So I, I, I was in the shower getting ready to go to the Oakland Coliseum to cover this game. And, uh, I, I watched the pregame show. I took a shower. I came out. It was 14 nothing. Uh, I got in the cab to go to the Coliseum. I got into the Coliseum. It was 24 nothing. Wow. And then I called my boss. I said, do you even need me here anymore? Right. But anyway, I, I, this was when Gannon, uh, Tony Saragusa pancaked Rich Gannon, broke his collarbone. Uh, that ended Oakland's uh, hopes, but Shannon Sharp caught a pass at the five yard line from Trent Dilfer and galloped ninety five yards down the field for basically the only touchdown mm-hmm. of the game. And then he he was great at the podium afterwards, and he actually made it worthwhile for me to cover that game. So I I, I give a shout out to Shannon Sharp, and he's become, even though he did it with the Ravens, but yeah, and he's become a good broadcaster. I think he's very entertaining on TV. No, I but, can't stand that, but he was great on CBS. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, I'll, I, he's somebody I would watch regularly. I will go with Steve Atwater as the coolest. Yeah, badass. Um, it, there are those moments that just sort of uh, stand out in history, and I, I can't remember if I saw it or if I just have seen the replay so many times. I think I saw it live, but him running into Christian Okoye on national TV and smashing Christian Okoye and just knocking him down in his spot was one of the most ridiculous hits I've ever seen in my life. And even though these hits are right to be taken out of the game for some of them that Steve Atwater used to lay, I am not going to be mad about having seen him do it and enjoyed it. Like, he was the Ronnie Lott of the AFC. Yes, yes. An incredible player, one of the toughest guys out there, and just had this sort of way about him of skulking around back there, and everyone who played against him was terrified, and it was great. Uh, in- intimidation... Can be allowed still, even if we're not trying to kill as many people as we used to. Uh, the NFL flexed 49ers and Packers to national TV. Thank you, NFL. You have done a good. Um, which one of those teams has a better chance to reach the Super Bowl, Brian? Uh, I'm going to go with the Green Bay Packers only because of t- thanks to our friends at uh, tankathon.com uh, and their uh, what? scheduling strength chart. Oh, okay. Strength of schedule chart. Uh, San Francisco is has the second toughest schedule going forward. Yeah, six. Their opponents have a combined winning percentage of six fourteen. I mean, they've got to play. They got to play the Packers. They still got another game against Seattle, New Orleans, the Ravens, and the Rams. The only cupcakes, or even if you well, Falcons are a cupcake. The Cardinals are decent too. They got a rough go. Green Bay. Green Bay has the twenty third hardest schedule mm-hmm. remaining. They've got to obviously face the Forty ers They got to come here. On Monday night, December 23rd. But otherwise, Green Bay has Washington, the Giants, 
the Lions, and the Bears. So it doesn't look good for the Purple to grab that division title unless maybe they run the table here. Thank you, Jonathan. It's hard for me to pick against Aaron Rodgers if you're telling me it's between these two. <laughs> it's going to be Aaron Rodgers because I've seen him do it in the playoffs before. I haven't seen Jimmy G, Jimmy G do it in the playoffs. I'm trusting the guy I know who can do it. Jimmy is, to me, a product of Kyle Shanahan. I Are think you guys all buddies? Not that he's not talented. <laughs> What's that? Jimmy, Jimmy G, like, yeah, you know is him it, well. Am or? I wrong to say this? And and I don't mean to offend any Jimmys or Johnnies out there who are grownups, but like you dump that after like fifteen, right? When you're growing up, no, get rid of the twelve why. after your last okay, birthday party. All right, that's right. <laughs> you your, get rid of the why. You don't do the why. Your parents call anymore. you this, and maybe teachers, hey Jimmy, little Jimmy, uh, whatever. But then once you get to sixteen, you could drive a vehicle. You are Jim or James. Mm-hmm. If, if you have reached Jimmy Garoppolo's age and you are still Jimmy, I don't trust you in a playoff. You're game. the childhood police, aren't you? I'm just saying, you should just, when you're a child, act like one, but once you get to grown-up time, then be a grown-up, and don't go by Jimmy. Nobody calls you Maddie? I think if you're, like, maybe your wife could call you Jimmy or something privately, but (laughs) professionally, Jimmy sounds like, oh yeah, little Jimmy, we're real afraid of him in the playoffs. I'm not afraid of a guy named Jimmy. (laughs) I don't even want to ask about Booger McFarlane at this point, but go ahead. My favorite Booger McFarlane moment the other night was, they have to call a play here. <laughs> sure as hell do, Booger. Breaking sure news. as hell do. Very bold. He, he varies wildly between, oh, that's a really good point, Booger, and uh, yeah. Thanks, Tim McCarver. <laughs> All right, that is our hot routes for today. Oh, man, when, that was good. Uh, I, I know, hot routes, man. We always bring it. Um, there are so many choices, by the way, for coolest Denver Bronco Carl Mecklenburg was one of the uh, I remember Carl Denver Mecklenburg. Broncos. I, w- I wanted awesome. to just say Rick Upchurch because I love that name. And he was a great returner. Uh, Champ Bailey. Champ Bailey. pretty darn cool Denver Bronco. And I will even say this. The Denver Broncos had a cool kicker. Jason Elam was a yeah. cool kicker. Yeah, he was. When, I, I remember Rich Carlos, the barefoot the, guy. The, the, he was a Denver Bronco, too. The... Um, 63-yarder for Jason Elam to set the record was amazing. He was a cool kicker. All right. Um, Steve Palazzolo coming up next for Pro Football Focus. We will grill him on the Vikings offense. Is it for real? Yes. Did you have something to say? No, I'm just just passing the baton. Okay. Um, We'll be right back here. Listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Him to be able to come in and mentor a young coordinator was really important. Um, So, you know, to me, that's about being... um, being, you know, talking about your your particular scheme and making sure that carries on in the future, and uh, you know, I think that that part is was as important to me as anything. Mike Zimmer there, back here on Purple Daily. Matthew Collar along with Brian Murphy. And now we go to a former minor league pitcher and senior analyst at Pro Football Focus, Steve Palazzolo. What's up, Steve? How you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. I used to call minor league baseball games as a broadcaster, and people do not realize what a bleep show it is, but also how awesome it is, the minor leagues. Yeah, that's, uh, that about sums up the career. You know, the, the crazy bus rides and the craziness that goes on, but we're out. We were all trying to live a dream, right, and uh, playing a kid's game, so it was fun. We had a guy who took a break from the team because his buddy was getting married in California, and he wanted to fly back for the wedding. And then they let him fly all the way back to New York and then cut him when he got back. It was great. But that's my favorite. <laughs> that sounds about right. I saw, guys, I saw guys pitch in spring training. 
and then come back and get released. I mean, uh, it's uh, yeah, it could be a, a cutthroat, difficult world as well for not much money at all. Oh, yeah. Uh, where the money is truly at is at Pro Football Focus. And so we have to talk about the Vikings and, and what they've done here over the last several weeks offensively. And they've emerged by most statistical measures, traditional or some otherwise, as one of the best offenses in the NFL. Steve, are you buying that Kirk Cousins can lead a truly great and potentially Super Bowl caliber offense? Oh man, I don't know. I don't know about Kirk Cousins all the time. You know, he's up, he's down, but I think, you know, I think Kirk is one of those guys where if you surround him with the right supporting cast, I think that's kind of been the story of his career, right? I mean, I think he's had, he's had good receivers in Washington and good play callers. And, uh, you know, he's always worked well off play action or, you know, when he gets that high volume play action game like he has this year, you can extract good production out of him. That's how I will, that's how I will. Uh, describe it. And I think Minnesota is doing a fantastic job of that. I love Dalvin Cook uh, as much as we're not supposed to like running back to PFF. I love Dalvin <laughs> Cook. I love what he brings to the table. I think he's, um, honestly, I think he's, I, I always thought he was right up there with Zeke and Todd Gurley and all these guys that people uh, thought were the best pure runners coming out the last three or four years. So I love a lot of what Minnesota's done. And, you know, for years, people talk, you know, the recent years, it's been this McVay coaching tree and, then people kind of forgot about Shanahan, but they all forget that maybe it's Kubiak, right? That's kind of like sitting atop that. And I think we're seeing that uh, a little bit of in, in Minnesota where they're, they're just making a lot of uh, much better decisions, working that play-action game and getting the most out of Kirk. What do you think it is about Gary Kubiak? Like, what part of his offense is it that can always get more out of quarterbacks? Like Jake Plummer and Brian Greasy and Matt Schaub, and now with Cousins where his numbers have just gone way up. It seems like you know everybody else will get the label of quarterback whisperer or this or that, but here's old Gary just still out there doing it. I, I mean, I think it really starts with the play action game. I think, I mean, even if you just watched on Sunday night, and if you're just looking at quarterback statistics, and you're watching the throws that Cousins made, and this isn't to take anything away from what Cousins has done the last four, five, six weeks, um, but such a huge chunk of his yards were coming just off of boot action and screens. You know, just as this baseline. So much like Andy Reid does uh, with the Chiefs, I think a good play caller, uh, you know, wins on the edges a little bit, runs that high percentage of play action, has a good screen game, and you just kind of get this, get the quarterbacks to this baseline of production, and then the quarterback still has to make some throws. There'll still be some third and longs here and there. You still have to make those intermediate and downfield throws. But if you start with this baseline of production that comes from the play calling, I think Kubiak's done a really good job of that and you know that that whole that whole tree does a really good job of running the outside zone scheme running the play action off of that and i do think uh, the wide zone scheme just creates more holes i think with play action because you just get the defense moving uh vertically and horizontally and it creates some nice passing lanes uh steve last week against dallas uh Kyle Rudolph uh, had two touchdown catches, including a spectacular one-handed grab in the back of the end zone. He's now got four touchdown receptions in the last four weeks after basically being a ghost uh, for the first six, being essentially an extra blocker and being told he was going to be a blocker. Are we to think that's just because Adam Thielen's been sidelined the last couple of weeks, or has he reemerged as uh, a scoring threat? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to, you know, when it's just, you know, four touchdowns in such a short period of time to say, okay, now he's going to, he's going to get to 10 this year. But I do think, you know, when you look at all the weapons that the Vikings have, especially when Thielen is on the field, uh, they can attack all levels of the field. They can win, uh, in a whole bunch of different areas. I thought that, you know, drafting Irv Smith 
was a was just a really nice move to complement what what Rudolph brings to the table. And um, I think part of it was yeah, Thielen's out, and you've got uh, hey, let's use our big target in the red zone. Some of it's just uh, circumstantial, but I, I just really like the way Minnesota has built their group of playmakers. You know, you've got the route runners on the outside. You got the big tight end in the middle at Rudolph. You've got the the shiftier, better route running tight end in Irv Smith. So I think they've done it the right way. And because you have multiple options to go to on a given play, you can go to the big guy Rudolph when uh, when things open up for him. Talking with Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus. Okay, Steve, uh, this is weird to ask now because I've been here for uh, a couple of years, and Mike Zimmer's defenses are always great, but. Can the Vikings win with a mediocre pass defense? Or do you think it gets turned around? I mean, I think that's very possible that they get hot toward the end of the year and improve. But so far, they're a mid-pack type of defense, which is very unusual for Zimmer, but I think that's the reality right now. Yeah, I mean, I I think in today's NFL, you can win uh, with a mid-tier type of defense. I think um, it, it was almost inevitable just the way the team had been trending. I thought you could see this clear peak in 2017 when you're looking at that roster and it reminds me of uh, the, the 49ers a few years ago 2011 and 12 they had this incredible starting 11 or 12 that they would rotate in there but you just didn't feel like the depth was there I, I felt like Minnesota was kind of hitting that point a couple of years ago and I think that's why we've kind of seen some of that regression especially with uh, you know with Rhodes and, and Wayne just some of the some of the injuries and various things happening on the back end so um, it's not easy um, but uh, I, I think it's I think it's doable in today's NFL, and also I think Zimmer he's always around the defense that can scheme it up a little bit and make things difficult on the offense. So I think he can always get the most out of his talent. It just puts a lot more pressure on the offense, which of course has been cooking recently. Uh, Steve Colin Kaepernick plans to audition for NFL teams Saturday in a in a private workout arranged by of all folks the NFL uh, in Atlanta, but. Uh, only Saturday, not any other day that uh, might be convenient for Kaepernick, but all 32 teams have been invited to watch him. What do you expect to come out of this? Is it is it a little bit, is it just cosmetic, or do you expect something legitimate, some interest to be uh, generated out of this? I, have, I honestly have no idea where it all came from, why the timing is what it is. I'll just say from an on-field football standpoint, there is a more nuanced, take than I think most people have had about Kaepernick. I think some people in the media think that Kaepernick would be carrying some team to a Super Bowl, and I think other people think he's terrible. And I think there's there's somewhere in the middle where the last time we saw him play in 2016, his PFF grade was in the 50s, which isn't great. Yes, he had 16 touchdowns and four interceptions. I think he was elevated a little bit by Chip Kelly's offense that particular year. Uh, he fumbled a little bit too much. You know That didn't show up in the stats, but at the same time, I think he's a he's better than most of the backup quarterbacks out there potentially, and I think he could easily be on an NFL roster. So uh, there's some kind of nuanced take in the middle of that. I think he could help an NFL team, assuming uh, everything checks out, assuming he wants to play and all that stuff. So um, I think teams are showing interest somewhere along the line, and this might be the NFL's way of just kind of letting that happen. Isn't it interesting, Steve, that we had this whole conversation about how the league figured out Kaepernick and you couldn't have running quarterbacks, and then all of a sudden, here we go, and this weekend we've got Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson, a matchup that is about as exciting as one that I can remember in a long time. Two guys who would have a good case for MVPs. How do you view um, the future of the quarterback position? Do you think 
think it'll always be kind of split down the middle to here's your Kirk Cousins who stands in the pocket, but he can throw the ball really well, and here's your more mobile guys who are playmakers, or five years from now, will we have 60% mobile playmakers? Yeah, I think I think you'll always be able to win with both. I mean, I've heard other people ask, is this like the death of the pocket passer? And, you know, just because Brady's going to retire in 10 years and Breeze might retire soon, like I don't think we're losing that necessarily. But, um, you know, Watson and Jackson are interesting because they're different. You know, they're, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson, they're using him in the designed running game a lot like, you know, he's closer to Cam Newton as far as how the team is using him. Mm-hmm. Uh even though Cam is more of a battering ram, Lamar is, of course, a much you know shiftier, faster runner. But it's the designed run game of Lamar Jackson versus Watson, who's more trying to create outside of structure. Um, so they're different. They absolutely use their mobility. Much like I mentioned, hey, a play caller is going to get you this baseline of production. I still think you need a quarterback who's going to stand in the pocket and get you this baseline of production. And if he can't get you above that baseline of production, if he can't become Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, uh, then having a guy that can create outside of structure or keep the defense off balance through the design run game and the subsequent play action and opportunities off of that, that's where Lamar comes in. That's where Deshaun Watson and maybe um, guys who aren't even as skilled as them maybe can extract offense because they are mobile. So I think we'll see a hybrid, and I think we'll see teams that have, say, quarterbacks 20 through 32 perhaps get more creative with more mobile guys in the coming years rather than trying to find the next Breeze, Brady, Peyton, whoever it might be. Somebody should have signed Josh Johnson again. Uh, oh, I think he's played for almost <laughs> every every team with that sort of uh, that sort of hope. Who would you rather have, uh, Jackson or Watson? Uh, I, I would say Watson right now, and it's only because I, I still feel like Lamar has to prove a little bit in my mind. You know, we talk a lot about accuracy as something you can't really teach, but Lamar has improved his accuracy, whether it's because he's still young and is he's really inexperienced as a quarterback. I mean, he's only been playing the position for about five years. So um, with, with real play calls, I should say, because in high school it was um, a lot of freelancing. So I think Watson has a better track record of things that will uh, continue to translate. Though Lamar, you can build this whole offense around his skill set, and the Ravens are doing that. They're taking advantage of every last bit of his skill set. But I would still say I feel more comfortable with Watson at this point in their careers. Yeah, I kind of wish this game would have been flexed to national TV so I could watch it because I'll be covering Vikings and Broncos. Um, Steve Palazzolo, one of my favorite follows. I know, I know. Why does the NFL shape its schedule around me and how uh, I want to watch these games? You'd be happier Uh, filling potholes, I'm sure. uh, I did that once. (laughs) Yep, that was one of my jobs was uh, road construction. So, yep, I'm happier doing this. Uh, Senior analyst at Pro Football Focus, Steve Palazzolo, does a great podcast with our buddy Sam Monson. Always good stuff, Steve. Great to have you on, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Yep, for sure. at PFF underscore Steve is Steve Palazzolo and former minor league pitcher. He's also like six seven, very tall. And that's all I've got. Break. Um, when we come back, let's uh, let's <laughs> that talk was about smoothest braille, man. I know, I know. That's why they gave me this instead of road construction. Uh, we talked earlier about trap games and whether we think they're real. Sage Rosenfeld's former NFL man says no. I want to get your take. It's Vikings and Broncos. We're kind of overlooking this one as media. It's maybe a trap game for me. I don't know. Maybe I'll get bored in the first quarter or something. We'll see. Uh, but I want to know if you think that trap games are real and if this could be one for the Vikings. We'll be right back. This is Purple Daily on Score North.
Jonathan here with the Score North download. Download the Score North mobile app and make sure you register for listening rewards. This month, one lucky app user will win a $200 Visa gift card just for having the mobile app. All you have to do, download the app, register the app, and enter through listening rewards, and you enter for a chance to win a $200 Visa gift card just for having our Score North mobile app. Mike Zimmer talked to the press today and was asked, about Vic Fangio, the Denver Broncos head coach, who got his first head coaching gig at the age of 61. Here's what he had to say about him. Well, you know, he, he's been a good defensive coordinator for a long, long time. And uh, I'm not saying anything bad but about anybody else. But, you know, a lot of these guys, they come in in one year, they get a head coaching job, and, and guys never get an opportunity. And I felt like uh, Vic was a guy that earned that opportunity because of the body of work that he did. You know, I don't think he's a guy that is a big... Uh, politician or glad hander um, from from what I know of him you know it just it's nice to see guys get opportunities based on what they've done not uh, a one-year sabbatical that's been your score north download now back to the final segment of the day of purple daily all right back here on purple daily Matthew collar Brian Murphy Jonathan as you heard producing um, trap games, your thoughts. Real, fake, do teams get full of themselves in pro sports and then fall apart because of it? What do you think? Uh, they absolutely exist. Trap games are there, and they're called that for a reason. It's not just some cheap little media-driven narrative. It's uh, teams win big games, especially in football, because now you got a week to marinate in your own self-worth and mm-hmm. your your ego. And, and, of course, this is a huge trap game, not just because... Vikings' first home game in a few weeks, uh, big road win against Dallas, but they got the bye. They're already planning their their arrests. They're already planning their their arrests. <laughs> See, you can tell exactly when you covered the Vikings, like by saying that, because when J. Ron Kurtz got arrested, I was that like, was a mini buy. I was like, wow, that was just yeah, a few days off. Right, it was. This is a whole week. But, but I was really stunned by it. I mean, this is something that I haven't had to worry about since I've covered the team, except for some practice squad joker got arrested i think my first year and that was it and they cut him immediately and since then there's been almost nothing i checked the start starting midnight going into monday start checking the blotter <laughs> hennepin county hennepin county will reveal all no i do i i do i think they exist especially in football and especially in the in the nfl because you have you have this regimented week you have all of this build up and of course a week ago we were you know you were saying you know who's on the hot seat who loses this game Jason yeah. Garrett or Mike Zimmer well i mean now Mike Zimmer's bought himself what another 5 years because of this win <laughs> I mean, unless they fall apart here, they are now eighty no, percent for the playoffs. But guess what? They were last year. And if you don't time, believe so there's a trap possible. game, what do we? What what happened uh, two years ago against the Buffalo Bills, or uh, last year against the Buffalo Bills? I'm sorry, well, it was last year, right? It seems See, like a year ago I, or two years ago. But the be, Buffalo Bills rolled into here late in the season. No reason the or, Vikings or, should. Yeah, early in the season. Or you're thinking about Indy. When they lost, yeah. The oh, that was Indy yeah. at the, yeah, yeah. That was at the dome, though. That was ugly too. Was that at the dome? No, that was here. God, I'm terrible. Yeah. See, these years all blend together now. I can tell you everything you want to know about Super Bowl 13 in 1979, but I can't tell you what happened between 2011, 2018. It's all one big season. See, in the summertime, we have a game where I just have someone name a game that I covered, and I can tell you every detail about it. That'll end so, soon. Yeah, I, Your bandwidth I'm will shrink as you get older. Hanging on to the brain cells that are soon to leave uh, when I become an old man like you, Brian. Um, I old man with two I, kids and I, a mortgage. I, Don't even start with me. <laughs> <clears throat> I got too much other stuff on my mind.
This like, is, I got to get a full time job. I remember the Dallas Cowboys when they had Staubach. Uh, that was. That, I do, though, and so does go. most of your See, audience. There you have it. Um, I don't think there really are trap games. Oh. I think there are explanations for why things like that happen. Um, and I'll give you an example of the two games that you mentioned against Indianapolis. A, Andrew Luck plays for them, so he's good at football. But they out-schemed the Vikings in that game, where they tried to get three linebackers on the field, and then they threw to their athletic tight end a lot in that game, and the Vikings basically weren't prepared to handle an athletic tight end. So they fell into a trap. Okay, but every week teams try to set schematic traps. And also, when they brought back Adrian Peterson... They thought that they could just run with Adrian Peterson and play the offense that they had designed kind of from early on the season with him, and it didn't work. And then they got themselves into a hole because Andrew Luck was playing really good that day. Or, and that uh, was if it. not a hole, a trap. You could call a hole a trap. Okay. Yes. <laughs> that would be getting behind in any game would be called getting into a trap. Uh, against Buffalo, Jerry Hughes. It was entirely Jerry Hughes. Jerry Hughes is one of the best edge rushers in the NFL, and this would be my fear about this game is he came off the edge and beat Riley Reef a couple of times, strip-sacked Kirk Cousins, and then that was it. And it turned out that the Bills had one of the best defenses in the NFL, so when you gave them points last year and you got behind to them, it was very difficult to come back. And there were a few miscommunications, and that was it. I don't think it was anything like uh, they got too full of themselves after tying Green Bay or something. It was really, or that they didn't take Buffalo seriously or prepare for it. I think they do the same preparation every week for the entire season. I, I think when one of these upsets happen, it's so rare that they they happen that we start to look at the circumstances and then form the narrative around what already happened and say, well, they got trapped when really it was, no, their one great player ruined your game plan, which I think could happen this week with Vaughn Miller and with Denver. I'm not saying they're going to lose, but if there's one route to losing, it's two strip sacks by Vaughn Miller and then you can't get back on track because their defense is actually really good. Does that work, does that I, work for I, you? I disagree. Okay. Your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> no, of course there are trap games. Of course there are trap games. This is okay. this is a league that it 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 defines itself by you being ready you need to be ready to play every week, yep. but you have an entire week to sit there and read your own headlines and they claim that they don't and they claim that they don't feel, you know, they 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 don't pay attention to the past. We don't look ahead. Uh, we row the boat. You know, we're one and zero in this season. We're one and zero in this, this. No, these guys. This is. It's human nature to think we are in a great position now after a great road win. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to prepare. We're going to work. We know that. But you don't. You think the the Vikings are taking the Broncos as seriously as they're taking the Dallas Cowboys? I just don't. And they got a week off. They're already planning. The boat rides. See, this is why I like to ask the question, because I think everyone has sort of a different perspective on it. If yeah. you're a big X's and O's person, you say, well, they could win because they're an NFL team. Like, Look at Denver's losses. They're all close. Like, They're a pretty solid NFL team that didn't finish games, probably because Joe Flacco is terrible. And... I mean, I'm not saying that they're as good as the Vikings, but they're a decent team. So if they lose, I wouldn't say, well, they got trapped. I would say, well, Denver probably did a lot of great things that they were always capable of. I was never going to call this a trap game, and I don't, I, I'm don't. i never going to say they got trapped. You just ask the question, okay. whether it's real or not. I see. It's a good way to work your way out of it. All right, Brian, thanks for coming in. <laughs> thanks and for having me, as always. With everyone. Uh, we'll <laughs> talk to you again soon. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next here. You're listening to Score North on Purple Daily.
Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Venture X from Capital One is the travel card for people always asking, Where next? You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel and 2x miles on everything else you buy with Venture X. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.